Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is with us Friday mornings at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be and good that you're back. Appreciate that. We both would prefer to be Jerusalem for Shabbos and Yerushalayim. Yeah, I look forward to the next time we are together. Maybe we could actually do the show together face-to-face. And you said that a Shabbos like this, listen to this, folks. Talk about people gathering to give inspiration. You said that Shabbat, Shabbatot like this, meaning Shabbos Mavarchim, the great synagogue is not only full because on a typical Shabbat it is, and obviously Shabbos Mavarchim even more so, but you said that there's special attention being paid on a Shabbat like this in Jerusalem at the great synagogue to lone soldiers and their families and friends. Tell us what's going on. Every every uh, Shabbos Mavarchim, we have a a dinner for, for on Friday nights for lone soldiers, and we invite them. We invite Balabati. We invite uh, some yeshiva guys to come, and they mingle with the uh, with the soldiers. It's it's truly a remarkable thing. We have dozens of lone soldiers who come, uh, and they're of, of every stripe of Judaism that you can imagine, and from every place one can think of. And it's so moving, it's so important, and it gives them a, a rock. And during the week, the Great Synagogue provides food to soldiers, as do many others, and tries to meet needs and sends supplies down to the bases. And, you know, when you have hundreds of thousands of soldiers in Gaza and in the north, uh, you have to think of them, but you also think of their families yeah. and what their needs are. It's amazing to see the people who, who go, uh, my friend Martin Friedrich is there every night at, at the Air Force bases in Gaza, sometimes two or three bases in Gaza, providing food, hot food for them and other needs and they, that they identify. The Chesed is so amazing from so many sources and so many wonderful people who do this. It's it's truly remarkable. And of course, as you just pointed out, the scene that you're uh, describing is being played out by thousands of people in hundreds of locations around the country and call a vote to everybody who's participating, especially on a regular basis, as you just described with Shabbos Mavarachim. So the, the sacrifice, look, it's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken. The sacrifice of our soldiers is immense. Uh, people waking up around the world, not just in Israel, but around the world, uh, to news of fallen soldiers, and you, and you pray for a day when there's no news like that, and obviously some days are more difficult than others. And we start to question, Malcolm, what will make this sacrifice worth it, so to speak? I don't mean to minimize it, but in a moment people will understand what I mean. Uh, we have to start thinking, I would assume that you agree, about how this war is going to end. And if, in fact, the rumors that the Israeli government might try to encourage those residents who are now in the south of Gaza to reclaim or move back to the northern part, uh, I, I don't know if it was worth the sacrifice if that's going to be the end game of this war. Does it look like it's going in that direction? Well, nobody's very clear yet. I'm not sure that the government knows yet what the day after will look like. And I think they shouldn't be pressured into it. Obviously, they have to be thinking about it because the conduct of the war will help shape what the post-war situation will look like. But first of all, they still have the priority of rescuing the hostages. And yesterday, three more names were added to it, just as we learned 
that uh, some uh, were killed by Hamas. And, um, you know, it's still a shifting situation. Um, but I think that, and we also have to remember when we talk about the number of those who were killed, that there's a multiple of that who were wounded. Yep. And many of them wounded seriously. You saw the scene at the hotel this week young people in wheelchairs came there and the, the, the amazing dedication and uh, lack of, of uh, anger or, or uh, you know, um, self-pity. These people come there and they, they went into wheelchairs without limbs, with partial limbs in some cases, and, and went to the hotel and expressed thanks for everybody for what they did for them, whereas here people putting their lives on the line for Am Yisrael, not only for Medina Israel. So we have to say whether it's worth it is a question of what you think the objective was. The first thing is we find out how big the infrastructure to have 500 miles of, of underground tunnel times 20, 30, 40 feet deep. And, you know, the the, the uh, walls that they built uh, on Gaza went down and they thought enough to prevent uh, the tunneling and the digging being, uh, to be detected. And yet, in fact, now it went down elevator inside these tunnels taking people down it goes so deep and tra- and they connect and they uh, had weapons stored there and let alone the terrorists obviously hiding there and the more that they find the weapons they find constantly constantly and you see the the secondary and tertiary explosions indicating that there were weapons and things in these uh, various locations that were hit many many times civilian homes so the goal wasn't to depopulate Gaza, it was to remove Hamas and to make sure that they couldn't carry this out after we rescued the hostages and held to account those who engaged in the, the worst uh, and most horrendous acts that one can imagine. So I think the, the um, second guessing and the, you know, the speculation that the Secretary of State was there to demand that Israel tell them what the day after will look like, uh, I think that they can't tell them what tomorrow will look like yet because you have the leadership going through various permutations and they've been successful this week in, in eliminating leaders in, of Hamas and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon and in Gaza. Uh, the United States took out the operatives in Iraq. I don't hear anybody saying what's the day after they're going to look like <laughs> because they did the right thing and they, 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 their goal is to remove the terrorists and to go after the leadership and then worry will worry about what the next day you know people have suggested they could move to africa and they move the people to elsewhere those are not realistic solutions and, and especially given the international climate right now but there has to be some a solution that assures that it doesn't happen again based on what israel has discovered in the last three months is the rest of gaza the same way that the northern part is same types of tunnels same type of infrastructure same type of uh, locations where where rockets are stored and rockets are launched is the entire region is the entire strip essentially the same when it comes to that or the north is much more the way i just described it than the south no, the, they, the North has the infrastructure as south. The, um, in, in cases also, it depends on the ground about what you can dig and where you can dig. But 
But they found tunnels everywhere. They found the UNRWA schools, the other schools being used. They found homes being used. You know, they, they, I, I spoke to soldiers literally in, in Gaza on the front line, and they were telling me that they have to go into every house because virtually every house is either booby-trapped, has tunnel entrances in their bathrooms, in their kitchens, has um, weapons stored there. And if, in fact, we're to prevent any kind of acts happening again, they have to really cleanse all of these places. So it's not because they they want to take over the houses or because they're indifferent to the population. If you look at a lot of the pictures, you'll see that many of the buildings are standing, that it's isolated and targeted buildings that are hit. There are areas where they had to flatten because the tunnels collapse and the, and the buildings on top, and that's why they try to depopulate and move the population around. And yeah. when they discover new dangers, they move them again, yet the media criticizes them. They could easily just carpet bomb the place, and they have taken care of a good part of, of Gaza, but that's not how Israel fights, and, and you see it in the north also, where everybody's trying to contain the, the war for now, but it doesn't mean you don't strike when you know that there's uh, somebody of, of high value to the to the terrorist operations. But, but my point is that there are people in the Israeli government, and, and you and I have discussed that if only you know people were a little bit quieter and, and said less publicly, if it was more like the old days than today. But all right, that's a separate issue. Um, but there, there are members who are saying that, uh, that neither the IDF nor Hamas is going to control Gaza. I don't know. It seems to me that if what you're describing... Is, is, you know, is what's going on there, that if in fact the IDF or the Israelis would control the northern part of Gaza and would insist that any residents who wanted to live in Gaza went toward the south, not expelling them to Egypt or anywhere else that might or might not accept them, that that might be a reasonable conclusion to all of this. Why on earth would members of the government make statements like that, that we are prepared and understand that there's no way we're going to occupy or, or have a presence, a military presence in any any part of Gaza once this is over? Well, I think, first of all, that's contrary to the fact. I think that Israel has to retain uh, control, at least in an interim period, until they see if a responsible government, you know, past history has taught us the lessons about uh, leaving it to, to the to the residents that they're going to ensure there will be a peaceful uh, and one that would just meet their needs. I mean, the people of Gaza aren't happy with this situation either. And, and uh, you know, there are many people who did not support Hamas, and, 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 but they voted for them. And they, they, civilians who joined in the attack, yeah. uh, once, once the, they had breached the, uh, the fence, the security barrier. Yeah. And I think the, you know, first of all, you're raising some serious questions. I, I do believe very strongly that loose lips sink ships and there are too many people talking too much, often giving contradictory comments, often saying things that the government doesn't support, which only enrages the public opinion and the media. Right now, our goal has to be to win the war, not yeah. to build up. We, we see how much opposition there is. We see how much of the media and how many governments have turned against uh, Israel and, in fighting and, one of the most just wars imaginable. And while you agree to discuss this now for a second, I know and we all know how close you are with the prime minister, but wouldn't you have preferred if he wouldn't have made a public statement earlier in the week that he has no intention of leaving office? Wouldn't it have been better for the morale of Israel if he would have just kept his mouth shut on that topic? Well, I don't want to talk about each individual person and their comments because you have to know what the internal politics are to know why he, he may have felt it was necessary to do it. Um, 
but but I think it, it's true that people shouldn't get into the political realm right now. There'll be plenty of time to do that. There will be people will be held to account once this is over right now. Anything that divides the people that that brings back the divisions of old is a disservice to the war, to the soldiers, to the people of Israel, to the state of Israel's future, to the security of Jews. Because look at the worldwide situation. If anybody doesn't understand how important Israel is today, and I hear it. Everywhere I go, people had no connection or didn't feel the personal connection. Certainly does today in ways that they could never have imagined. And the, you know, all the situations on campuses, off campuses and yep. communities. And, and you know, most people don't even have a real clue about how, how extensive all of this is here and around the world. So I think the, the, um, the political uh, divisions should wait. I think there are too many people many making statements. Uh, some of which I, I personally know for sure are just not factually based, but they, they get media coverage. They, they try to grandstand. They try to shift the onus from any responsibility on them to others in a preemptive way. And uh, and the accountability will come. And I think there absolutely has to be. And, you know, who will remain in power and not will be determined by it, this democracy and the systems they have in place. But I think people... It's not just about this, it's about the, the quickness of which, for instance, taking responsibility for the attack in Lebanon when the government did not take responsibility, when there could have been others, and why why put the red flag there when it's not necessary? What we want most. Yeah, I hear that. Um, when I did the Tzvi Kelly interview in Israel, I asked him why the hostage deal, the most recent one, fell apart. And he said there's no incentive for Hamas to make a deal, which is unbelievable when you think of what they've endured from the Israeli army and air force. And they have no incentive to go back to the table. Now, another deal, of course, fell apart this week. Is it, in fact, for that reason, uh, is there a lack of incentive among the enemy to actually sit at the table and make a hostage deal? Well, first of all, it's the leadership that counts. The people don't count. It doesn't matter. I think that many of the people in Gaza would take a deal today, would release the people uh, because, you know, they, they, they pay the uh, price yep. uh, for largely the leadership lives in Qatar. The leadership moves around the international sphere uh, with freedom and and with great wealth. And so the the targeting of the leadership in Gaza and their leadership in elsewhere, and we saw in Lebanon that they took one that's really not outside the region, but know that they're going to be targeted. It's like going after the Nazis after World War II, that no one should be safe who committed these kind of, of crimes against humanity. And the so the people themselves... I think want to get back to life and the hospitals are free. I think I do not believe the numbers that they give out and nobody should, you know, they've already dropped saying Hamas controlled uh, government agencies giving the numbers, let alone UN figures. I mean, the UN becomes a, a credible thing after all the terrible things they've said and how they, their institutions were misused and covered for the terrorist operation. So, Credible facts is, is hard enough to people I'm trying to counter the the lies and how much influence the uh, internet and the mistaken reports have, especially on young people, but on older people as well. And the and the knowledge of history, knowing the history 
Gaza and, and you know who who lives there who who, who how, how uh, the occupation of uh, of Gaza is a lie yeah that if since 2005 and all of a sudden people you tell it to people and they look at you even government officials say oh, I didn't I didn't realize that I didn't know that and the um, so I think you know we have a big job I'm I'm very concerned about the long term impact of this on Israel and Israel's standing. Uh, we already see the the um, defections along the edges, not surprising ones so far uh, in Congress. There is still overwhelming support for Israel and to provide Israel with its needs. But the longer this goes, the more erosion you'll have. Uh, and and you, you just alluded to the United Nations earlier, and amazing how their institutions, as you said, you know, have been covers for uh, for terrorist operations and terrorist locations. Uh, I mean, just just to point out, you know, talk about institutions that have a certain charter and have completely ignored it. Between the United Nations and the Red Cross, we could not, we could not possibly be more disappointed in their performance during this entire um, three months. And the Red Cross, especially, you know, you, you'd think that they'd at least try to fake it that they had some type of humanitarian concern for the hostages that are being held by the enemy and they they can't even fake it they can't even show the world you know in in, in what's in what might look like a sincere way that they have any concern with what's happening with the israelis being held when she refused to take the medicine from the prime minister the head of the red cross and seek to get it in to people uh one of the hostages who die or need i mean uh, it's it's vital for their survival and, and not even to take it as you said and say look i'll make an effort again right it will be, there's no and and the the u.n agencies now their people i listen to them being interviewed and especially on npr and and the news hour at npr and the viciousness of the reporting there the one-sided nature of the reporting and people who contribute should just should really just listen and, and think two, three, five times before they give again to, to, to them and others, uh, uh, you know, stations that generally are sympathetic, I think, to, to the thing, but have reporters there, even uh, Jewish reporters in Israel that are, are hostile. I saw ABC, for instance, has people who give balanced review, reviews and, and uh, accounts, but so many of the others do not. And and it's it's worse than anything that I've seen before, where they you know just look for the the sensationalist and to find people in this breathless reporting about the uh, with in, interviewing people who they have no idea whether valid uh, accounts or not, and yet they they do it daily. Yeah, no question about it. I uh, did you think in the next couple of days? I don't know. Next forty eight hours, seventy two hours, there might be Qatar, United States, Egypt that will get uh, uh, Hamas back to the uh, hostage negotiating table. It is, after all, thirteen Shabbatot now that they're being held. It's it's hard to imagine what these people have been through. It's hard to to know how many lives to the brutal behavior that they've been subjected to, and. The, you know the um, uh, so I, I truth it's it's it as soon as I think about them it, it, I'm I'm paralyzed because I, I can imagine the terror and the horror that they have experienced and the uh, so it is it would be interest of any government of any normal government that feels an accountability but their leadership doesn't it's not in their interest and, they, and Egypt and, them and Egypt the U, U.S. nobody could Qatar at this point nobody could change their mind. Look at the, look what the, what these little 
I won't use the words of uh, describing them, the Houthis are doing to international shipping. They're a peanut. We should crush them. They're cockroaches, and they should be dealt away with. That you know, a couple key strikes in 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 Yemen would eliminate their capacity to carry out these attacks. The fact, the brazen nature that they even go after it, the the warships and the and and continue their activities, on a virtually unabated, and continue to send rockets and and. Um, uh, drones, armed drones, again, in, into uh, where American and international warships now are, are, are uh, stationed, and we took out three of their their boats. Uh, and, and I was saying, and I, this goes back to the days of President Obama. I said they will not do anything in retaliation. They're they're chicken. They just exploit the weakness. They know that they can get away with it. When they can't get away with it, they'll stop. And there really has to be. And I, I credit the United States with going after some of the leadership in Iraq, uh, who, who are attacking American troops. Take with great pride how many times they've they've carried out assaults, uh, and it's it's. Well over a hundred times, maybe even two hundred times, that they've attacked in various way American troops and wounding some, uh, and we have to. The only answer is to hit them back and hit them back ten times harder than what anything they do. If you, those countries will have to take action to to limit them. They're not incapable. I think we're going to see from Lebanon a more hostility now in the in the wake of the killing of Valeri and others. That uh, there, if Iran will give the signal to Hezbollah to escalate. Remember, all of these things are being manipulated by Iran. The Houthis are an Iran operation, Hezbollah, Hamas, the militias in Syria and Iraq. So one day the answer has to be to take care of the of the, the source of the terror and the supporter of all of this terror, which we've talked about on the show for 15 years yeah. and warning about it. Even more. 20 years, certainly since the late 1980s, uh, uh, almost 40, 35 years. And 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 we could have stopped all of this. They're the source of, of so much of this terror. It doesn't mean it wouldn't exist at all. But it would not be, Hamas wouldn't be Hamas and Hezbollah, not Hezbollah. And you see the weapons they have from China, from all these other places, the support they get from Qatar, from Turkey, from others. Um, you know, there are actions that could be taken. And then we see it translates in, onto the American campuses where Tens of billions of dollars from these foreign sources, from Qatar, from China, from Turkey, from Iran, are poisoning our campuses and and dictating not only the, the students. You know that they get scholarships. These these countries get scholarships when they give money. And Qatar alone, uh, it's estimated, gave $13 billion that we've traced. And there's much more. It's never disclosed. There's no taxes. There's no accountability. And yet they dictate not only that they can send in students who are not qualified there. You can be assured they're sending in propagandists that that they also dictate faculty in many cases and influence what happens on the campus. There's a direct correlation between foreign funding and increased anti-Semitism. So we have to understand this is a, a worldwide threat and to to the countries that where they're operative. And we have allowed them in America to go unabated, un, unchecked and continue. It continues today. Oh, we only have ourselves to blame. With the explosions, the double explosion in Iran during that memorial service, so immediately there was speculation that it must have been uh, done by Israel. And then one of the terrorist organizations, I think it was Islamic Jihad, took responsibility for it. (laughs) 
what's what's going on? Are they are they, are they uh, at odds with the Iranians at this point, uh, where they would want to disrupt uh, a gathering like that with uh, with explosions? Well, it's it's typical of ISIS, and it's atypical of Israel. Where would does Israel ever strike an event? Where plain people, there weren't even leaders there, you know, who were who were go, largely who went to pay tribute to this other murderer who built this whole infrastructure of terror, Soleimani, yeah. uh, on his uh, the fourth anniversary of his uh, of his elimination by the United States, and um, and and I never tweet, but I've started because there has to be some place where at least some factual comments. And I said that you look at how the the quote pro Iran lobby guys jumped into this. Trita Parsi, Vali Nasser, uh, guys who, who had great influence in governments and stuff, and work now today for for uh, institutions. Right away, jumped in that uh, Israel's responsible, right. as well as they did on, on some of these other attacks. Because they want to take the emphasis off of Iran, and that Iranian officials could have done this themselves. But more likely, and and when ISIS takes credit, believe them. I mean, why would why not? It certainly fits their mo. And and they had two suicide bombers supposedly there. It will clarify. But I I would bet that there will be a lot of truth to to that claim. And yet the immediacy with which they blame Israel, and you have to credit the American government said there's no evidence that Israel was involved, and uh, and also, by the way, said that there's no genocide, and I think this guy Kirby, who's the spokesman for the NSC, has been amazing, has, and Miller from the State Department, uh, better than some of the officials in <laughs> putting things into context and standing up and defending Israel's right to defend itself and to, to do what it did, even even if they can you know, criticize from time to time. But it's been amazing in in uh, in saying it. Now, I want to start a, a program where we pay tribute to the people who have stood up for Israel and stood up for for the Jewish community in this critical time. You see how they're rushing to the defense of, of the president of Harvard now, despite the fact that she plagiarized everything. And if Jess had been a plagiarizing and if she had been white, what would they have said? I mean, the president of Penn who resigned was white. And yet they're saying now it's all racist, that it's, uh, you know, uh, finding every excuse under the sun rather than accountability and, and saying this is, and she resigned. She quit. She wasn't fired. Did they put pressure on her? No doubt. But she quit, and and she could have done these same things, fighting for, against it if she had wanted to. But I guarantee you, there are many more cases of plagiarism than than has been revealed. Wow, interesting. Um, you mentioned Iran earlier. Um, what, what about the theory that the reason Hezbollah is is, is not um, participating yet to the degree that they could? Uh, and you just said because you know Iran gives the instructions, they give the directives, and then if Hezbollah does get involved, it's going to be you know something. It's going to be a directive coming straight from Tehran. Uh, what about this discussion going on that Hamas acted in a rogue manner without the permission of Iran, without the knowledge of Hezbollah, and therefore they're not. They're not anxious to go and, uh, you know, because of the feud-like atmosphere, they're not anxious to go and, and help them out, so to speak, by extending this war to other fronts. Is there anything to that? So 
There's a lot to it. First of all, there were meetings between Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas in Lebanon before the event. So to say that they didn't know anything, you can't build all this infrastructure without Iranian experts, without Iranian help, without Iranian money and and money from other sources. It's probably true that they didn't tell them the date, that only six or ten people actually knew the date that it would take place, that many of the soldiers, not soldiers, terrorists who were caught, admitted that they weren't told until that morning or the night before, during the night, when they were going. But they had been training without knowing exactly what for, and then broke through and did not, I'm sure, anticipated much more resistance than they, they, they got. Right. And, uh, and, and yet you see also the parallel into infrastructure in Lebanon. One out of every three houses in southern Lebanon along the border of Israel has a rocket in it. This is a, these are Shiite villages. There are dozens of Shiite villages in the south that were, which are sympathetic to Hezbollah. Or even if they're not, they don't have a choice. And they, they are ruled over by the, the, the uh, Hezbollah warlords, they, you know, there's a, a, over 100,000, maybe 150,000 missiles, which is five times what is in Gaza, and they have infrastructure. But the people of Lebanon, in every poll, overwhelmingly oppose a war, oppose Hezbollah, uh, feel that Hezbollah is bringing destruction on them. I mean, they're living with it day to day and see how much they drain and, and how they endanger the opportunities Lebanon has, you know, the the oil rigs, the the um, digging with oil, how long it was postponed because they wouldn't allow a deal with Israel. And finally, Israel, with all the concessions, didn't bring security along that border uh, with Lebanon. The opposite, they want to uh, target the rigs. And I think they were told, you target the rigs, you can all forget about every tall building in, uh, you know, within eyesight because nothing's going to remain if they start uh, going. So another side, in this case, really wants an all-out war. Israel has a lot of resources and people there, but it's very hard for a two-front, let alone a three-front war, meaning in Yudun Shomron, where their preemptive actions, I think, prevented uh, more actions. But but they found, Israel's found, that they had identical plans on the Lebanese border to invade, to take two army bases, to kill the people there, to take over, take hostages from the communities, the cities along, uh, villages and, and towns along the border. And you know the tunnels that they built, and many of your people, I'm sure, have seen it, as have I. They're so elaborate, so unbelievable. And, and the best thing I saw was that the Israeli soldiers put a mezuzah on the door of the tunnel, you know, as a reminder. But, but it goes, and it, they dig it straight down, so you can't even find it unless you hit the exact place where it is and determine that's where the tunnel is because it first goes all the way down and then goes across whereas most people build tunnels across uh so and and they have inside electronic equipment air conditioning also communication systems as they did in many of the places in gaza so all of those who are critics of israel why are they answering why they didn't use this money to build shelters to build up the hospitals and then look at all the money the billions of dollars that went in that finally one or two arab people and have started to tell the truth that that the electricity, they didn't pay for electricity, they didn't pay for water, they didn't pay for the wood, and much of it came from Israel. A significant percentage of the aid came from Israel every day, even though electricity, it's like 10% water the same, and yet they blame Israel for for their failure to build the infrastructure, to build desalination plants, and all that denying the people of Gaza. It's not Israel that did it. Israel is out of there. Israel gave them the opportunity, just as they destroyed the 
the greenhouses they left and all the infrastructure, they destroyed the whole place because their goal is to have a terrorist base, not to benefit the people. Look, they live in luxury. Look, the best example is the Abraham Accord countries. They, uh, they have a surplus of money. Look what they did with it. <laughs> they, they built a, uh, an incredible infrastructure. They have all the luxuries you could imagine. They make sure everybody's employed. They make sure everyone has the money they need. There has been so much aid and so much assistance from around the world to the people of Gaza. Forget for a moment everywhere else. The people of Gaza, imagine what they could have had if this was handled responsibly. But the United States, the UN, and others, just you know, and the Europeans give money, and they don't. Nobody monitors anything, and if they think they are monitoring, they really aren't because they're being outsmarted. And this is what ends up happening. By the way, with what you just described regarding the situation in southern Lebanon, we know. We know this from accounts that we've had on the air this week uh, that they're moving. People are moving back to communities in the south. Thank God the army and the government have allowed that. And some of the communities are you know, getting the majority of people back. Um, the Sterot Yeshiva, we saw the celebration. Is that uh, reopened in Sterot? They have been displaced like many others, uh, just as an example. Um, is it going to be much longer up north? Is it going to be much longer before the refugees from the northern part are going to be able to get permission from the IDF and government to go and, and move back home? The evacuees yeah. uh, are, are uh, um, and they're not refugees, they're not out of their the right. land. They've been moved away from their homes, right. and they've been doing it for their protection. I mean, it easily could have been left in place, and, and Israel just have had to operate around them or, uh, or disregard them, which is what the enemy would have done. But that's not what Israel does, and, and um, so I do think it'll be a, a quite a while, especially because of the new, more targeted approaches which uh, Israel is using and going after leadership and because uh, they have destroyed a lot of the infrastructure that was the the um, target of the, and yet Israel also still has inside <clears throat> inside um, Gaza a huge capacity they, they've withdrawn several divisions and and uh, demobilized a, a group so that they could go back to to work and will rotate people in and and you know to help the economy get functioning again but there's still the capacity in the country is very great and the the air force is continuing to take the actions it, it needs to when called in and uh, god willing we will see that the they get the hostages and that the pressure continuing will continue in Gaza. Life can't go back to normal for them. They will. They will have to, you know, say once and for all. They don't want any of these. Uh, uh, they don't want the Hamas there. They still enjoy support, although they should enjoy more support in the West Bank than amongst the people on, who have to live under their uh, terrible rule and and uh, dictatorship. Yeah, well, Washington has this fantasy that the PA is going to go into Gaza and uh, deal with it responsibly. Nobody in Israel well, that I spoke to felt that was realistic. They haven't done it in in uh, in, in, Judea and in the areas under their in the areas under their control. And just look what how much Israel found, and what would have happened had Israel not gone in preemptively, destroyed the factories that were making weapons, take confiscating large amounts of weapons, arresting hundreds of the terrorists associated with Hamas uh, and and uh, with Pij, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. We would have had another front, and so we would have been fighting in Gaza, fighting in Lebanon, and we would have had to protect this in the core of the homeland area in the center of Israel, where you would have this very vulnerable border and with all of those weapons and terrorists. And we still see people 
you know, periodically carrying out, uh, trying or attempting to carry out outrages. Uh, but m- hundreds and hundreds of them were arrested and are in jail today, which has prevented that kind of uh, ter- tragedy. Very true. Uh, everybody continue to pray for our hostages, 13 Shabbatot in captivity, and of course continue to pray for our soldiers, uh, the um the results so far of this war have been uh, a, a too large of a number of fallen soldiers. We pray for their families, and of course, we pray for the safety of those soldiers who are still out there defending the state, land of Israel, and Jewish people all around the world. By the way, Malcolm, we should note the passing of Rabbi Tishel Solomon. Um, you always appreciate great rabbinic leaders who are affiliated with one organization, yeshiva or group, but have international and global influence, especially in a very positive manner, and I think you could put him in that category. Absolutely. It's a great gloss for Claudia Israel. He was a, a singular individual who had great influence on many people, let alone uh, certainly in Lakewood, but far beyond it. And I remember when he when he first came, uh, the anticipation uh, of his arrival and his the role that he he played um, really was remarkable. Yeah, to say the least. Um, thanks so much for joining us. And let's hope for a peaceful week and a victorious week and have a wonderful show. And, and people don't give up. Remember in shul, demand that they say to Mishaberach, demand that they say to Hillam for, for it, that every young person understands the connection and why that these guys are fighting for our survival. If people don't understand that, after all they witness on the, of the cities of America after this these last weeks, if they don't understand what's at stake in this, then it's it's on them. It's it's got to be, and we've got to know that this is. A war for all of us. It's all climate Israel around the world. It's in Europe. It's everywhere. Literally, even in the smallest Jewish communities are coming to us and telling us of, of things that are happening and harassment and, and uh, discriminatory actions against them. We, even taking all Jews off a jet blue plane because the weight imbalance. Seriously? Three Jews, they, they switched seats, I guess, because maybe they, they weren't sitting next to a man or woman, whatever. But they didn't do anything that people don't do every day on uh, on flights, which was to just switch seats. They didn't take disrupt anything. And, and other passengers said it. And they and the crew got angry and, the, and demanded, and they were taken off a JetBlue flight. I think people who have tickets on JetBlue are thinking of it should let the company know that we're not flying on an airline, which allows that kind of an anti-Semitic behavior. Unbelievable. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a good Shabbos, and we will speak, please God, next week. Malcolm Holine is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM.